welcome to Preston and Olivia and Auburn Inley. There she goes, kids community, first time. Fun, fun days ahead. And uh, we're, so, we're so grateful that the Lord has sent you to us, uh, excited about the things to come. Um, and our, we're praying the Lord's blessings on you in this transition. Those of us who've moved around and done this, it's, it's difficult. You've done it before. And so we're in prayer for you uh, in the days ahead as well, Preston. So welcome to the East Sunshine family and to our ministry team and leadership. So uh, this week I received uh, a note from someone who uh, received a post on our East Sunshine Church Facebook page. It was from someone uh, named Nathan Williams, and he posted this on Friday morning. Thank you for giving the homeless a warm place to rest on cold nights. Seeing them walk along sunshine in small clusters to your church fills me with great sadness, immense gratitude, and much joy. In a strange way to me, it's one of the most beautiful sights in Springfield. You are a brick-and-mortar Christ, and Jesus is greatly honored by your compassion. Thank you. Wasn't that a beautiful note? That was tremendous, and I, I think that Nathan gets it, and those of us who are uh, part of the volunteer team on, on those nights, and, and really all of us, understand this mix of great sadness, immense gratitude, and much joy. It, it's the combination of all of those things that we experience. But for a neighbor, he perhaps passes by, he's passing by somewhere where he sees our homeless guest walking to and from our church perhaps, and, and for him to say, in a strange way to me, it's one of the most beautiful sights in Springfield. I uh, haven't heard it put that way. haven't thought about it like that. Um, so I'm thankful for that. And, uh, of course, it reminds me, um, as I think about our text today, we're a couple of weeks away today and next week as we finish up this series on Believing God. I wanted to stay in it for sure for today uh, because I, I'm wanting to, to, for us to look at Joshua chapter 3, and that's where we'll be in a few minutes, Joshua chapter 3. And I'll, I'll have us thinking, as we read that story, really the whole chapter, I'll have us thinking in terms of risk-reward today, risk-reward. Uh, the risk of faith and the reward of faith. And uh, when I think about this Facebook post, it's a reminder to us, and then when we think back uh, to um, a couple of weeks ago, we think about the, the shooting uh, in the church in Texas. We think about ministry and the risk of ministry, the risk of serving in your community, uh, the risk of serving people we don't know. We don't know the backgrounds. And there's risk to that. And, and I, I wondered, um, not only with the example from the West Freeway Church 
in Fort Worth, but with our church, with other churches that enter into a ministry, any ministry that has a reward is also going to have a risk. Can you have a great reward without some kind of great risk involved this side of heaven? At what point when we decide that we're going to take a risk, at what point do we decide that things are so difficult that it's really not worth it? And at what point do we decide when we face risk, do we say, I don't know what is on the other side of this risk, but I'm going to take it. Today, essentially, I'm just going to tell you on the front end as we approach this story that I want you to be thinking about your life and what you bring with you today. And I want you to be thinking about whether you, in what you face, will step out in faith or step back in fear. Let's uh, think about risk-reward. Certainly there's risk-reward in small things that we do in life, in daily kinds of decisions that we that we have, but there are risk rewards in great ways, in, the, in some big things that we face. And I want you to just kind of hold some of those in your mind. What is it right now even that uh, you're looking at? You're not sure exactly what to do perhaps, or maybe you know what to do. You know the right thing to do, and you're trying to decide whether you're going to do it. And you're really weighing that risk and you're weighing that reward. Um, It's most likely something big in your life as you think about that. The Bible tells the story of how God loves the world. It's, It's the story from beginning to end, the thread throughout Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. And it ultimately expresses, God ultimately expresses that love by giving his son. And his son comes to live and to die and to rise and to send his people, this new people, into the world. God came in risk. You ever think about that? The risk that Jesus himself, the Son of God, with God from the beginning, is risking. He's taking this risk, making himself vulnerable, making himself one of us, absorbing humanity into himself and the suffering of humanity and the uncertainty of humanity, the vulnerability of humanity the frailty of humanity. And he takes that. He takes that upon himself. And the Bible tells us of God's creative intention from the beginning in Genesis to the end of how God wants to be with us, wants to be in relationship with us, wants to be in relationship with his world, and wants to work through us in his world to take care of it and to love it with him. But of course... 
the Bible tells us the story of how we in our humanity, out of fear, out of a lack of trust, brought curse and brokenness into the world. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. God continues the story by redeeming and renewing and restoring, by rescuing and saving, to bring us back into that relationship. And in the end, he will be with his people again in the restored heaven and earth. And from beginning to end throughout the story, God calls people to trust him. God calls people to trust him. And one of the primary ways he calls and commands is by the phrase, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Um, Some estimate that there are hundreds of these kinds of phrases, maybe not those exact words, but this kind of phrase appears hundreds of times throughout the Bible. Do not be afraid. Fear not, as some translations might have it. God knows that we are often afraid. In the garden, fear was unleashed. Fear was unleashed after the people did not trust God. Didn't trust God. And then, fear-generated action. Fear-generated action has been part of the human story. It's been part of the human MO, our mode of operation. It's been part of that human story ever since. We feel fear or anxiety, and oftentimes that fear and the anxiety is what drives our decision-making process. It's what drives our action or our inaction. We're afraid to do something, so what? We don't do it. We look at the risk, we look at the reward, we consider the risk greater than the reward, so I back off. And in some ways, risk and reward is a very good thing for us. There's a lot of good discernment in risk-reward. There's a great risk in standing in the middle of a highway. There's a great risk there. Well, we look at that, we assess it, that's not a very smart thing to do. So the fear generates a really good decision not to go stand on the highway. But there are many scenarios in which when we assess risk-reward... God is calling us to trust. He's calling us to act in faith, follow him into this very difficult place in life, a very difficult decision. You've got those things in your minds right now. He's calling us to do that, and sometimes we assess risk-reward, and then we, we just don't act. Uh, it, it may be that, that we are simply looking at our situation And uh, what we do is we create in our minds, out of this place of uncertainty, we create in our minds the worst-case scenario. Isn't that what we do a lot of times? Well, I really want to do that, but, you know, and we start naming about the 15 things that might go wrong. There's at least one of those in every family, right? These are the things that might go wrong, and we start thinking about that. And sometimes that can drive us to just paralyze, be paralyzed in action. It could be that we're coming to a time in which we, we don't know what to expect. We, it's just a time of uncertainty in our lives. It, maybe it's a fork in the road. 
Uh, as the great baseball-playing sage Yogi Berra said, if you come to a fork in the road, take it. There's, there's got to be something to do here. And that's what, that's what happens. What, which way should I go? I don't know. So I'm just not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay at the fork. Uncertainty. Imagining a worst-case scenario drives fear. And then the fear drives us backwards rather than forwards. We may ask ourselves, will I be okay? Will I be safe? Will I be comfortable? Will I be healthy? Will I be happy? That's a big thing. Will I have purpose? Will I be rejected again? What might I lose? And so we go through these questions and we can operate out of the sense of the risk we take rather than the reward we gain. And we come to our text today and I want you to have those things firmly fixed in your minds as we read this story. Uh, To this point in Joshua, um, Joshua has received the reins of leadership from God himself. Moses is dead. And Joshua is now receiving the reins of leadership. And um, God has already appeared to Joshua and announced it. Moses is dead. In case you didn't remember that, Moses is dead. So, you're in charge. And he tells him in chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, he says this, Have I not commanded you... Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So he's been told, be strong and courageous. And then those words that appear so often, do not be, what? Afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. They are on the other side of the Jordan River. This is the border as they've wandered around the wilderness the long way for 40 years. And he's brought them all the way around the Dead Sea, and now he's got them camped on the east side of the Jordan River, looking westward, looking into the land that he has promised them, the land that he'd given Abraham, that had been inhabited by Isaac and Jacob. Then the migration to Egypt, about 430 years before, 430 years or so in Egypt, most of that in slavery and in misery, He's called them out of Egypt. He's already parted the waters of the Red Sea, and he's led them across on dry ground. We're going to look at that exodus next week to close the series. And this is where they are now. So they're on the east side of the Jordan. They're looking over. Joshua's been told, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. And now God says this. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark, Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, 
consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, Jebusites, all these people. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, including all those places and people, will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. So, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan, stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completely completed the crossing on dry ground. Isn't that amazing? Do you see the risk-reward? I mean, there's so many, all these stories of faith that we've been looking at for the last couple of months. All of them have risk-reward. Your story of faith, your story of faith today has risk and reward. You're facing it. I want us to notice a couple things, and then we're going to pull some things uh, together for for us today to take with us into our story of faith. Uh, Number one, God had already been with Moses. We've seen that throughout Exodus and Deuteronomy. He's been with him, and the people have seen God's hand on Moses. So they know that the Lord has been at work among them. Secondly, God had already caused Exodus to happen. He had already parted the waters. They've already seen great works of God to this point. They've been seeing them, actually, for 40 years because he's been doing many things since he kept them in the wilderness longer because of what? A lack of faith. Remember the spies that we talked about from Judges a couple of months ago? The ten who came back to give a bad report? Too much risk. And the two, Joshua and Caleb? Joshua, this Joshua? Joshua and Caleb who said, no, there's great reward. No, too much risk. Too much reward not to do it. 
And so they have this risk-reward battle going on, and God has already shown that he's faithful, that he's powerful, that he will lead them. They have their history with them. They have God's work on their side. They're able to appeal to what he's already done. Third, God has made this promise to Joshua about being strong and courageous, so we know he's received it from God himself. God has even used Rahab the prostitute in a place in Jericho, the main city, because Joshua had sent out some spies in chapter 2, a couple of them, two of them. There's some scandalous action here. It just seems like, what is going on here? Behind the scenes, nothing overt. But these spies are hidden by Rahab the prostitute. She's a foreigner, and she says, and when she hides the, the spies from the town officials who are looking for them and, and have somehow come to know that they are, they are from Israel and they're, can't, they're spying out on them, and she tells the spies in secret, in the night, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. We heard of it, and when we did, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me that you'll show kindness to me as I'm showing kindness to you. She, she kept them safe, so she's also going to be saved. And God is using a prostitute from another country to speak courage into his people. So from the story, we see a couple of things. Number one, move with God. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Number two, recognize the holiness of God. Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits, 1,000 yards between you and and the Ark. Don't go near it. Recognize the holiness of God as you move. You move with God in faith. You're not moving alone. God is the one who's in front. Sometimes we imagine that in life, we're out front and we're asking God to be with us. So we're discerning, we're determining, we're deciding, we're doing this. Hey God, I need you to bless me, come with me. But it's God who's moving first, God moves out. And we move in trust with God, and we, in that trust with God, never lose sight of his holiness. Thankfully, the ark, which was the symbol of the presence of God, is morphed over time, and that symbol is not just in an ark, in a temple. Now Jesus is the one who carries it. His glory is touchable, accessible. And then even from Jesus, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in you with you is there sanctifying, cleansing, purifying, strengthening all the time. So you're never without the Lord. You carry him because he carries you. And you're with him, moving with him. You are following him into these difficult decisions in the days ahead. Third thing, leaders go first. 
in a sense, the church is, is a leader in the world, but for us who are in leadership in this church, this is a message to us. We've been talking about this even over the last several months, haven't we? Leaders go first. When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go stand in the water. That's the fourth thing. Put your feet in the water. There is, there is something about, he, he wants them to, to act in faith before they see what he's actually going to do. Wouldn't it have been like a lot more comforting if God had parted the waters and they could look at the heap and they could look at that, the, the river water going downstream and see that it's, it's not coming anymore? Maybe send the priest on ahead to see if they don't get washed away. But no. He says, I want you to go put your foot in the water. You're going to step in faith, and then you're going to see the rest of it. You're going to step out, assessing the risk, and that reward is going to be great. Uh, trust is obedience. When we trust God, we will obey. We will step out in obedience. And think about this. Sin is essentially not trusting God. Disobedience is essentially a lack of faith. It's a lack of trust in God. It's, it's us, as we've said on many occasions. It's, it's for me to say, no, Lord, I'm going to do this because I know better than you. What you say is not right. What you say is not good. What you say is not wise. I'm going to do it this way. Thank you very much. That's sin. The lack of trust. And then finally, leave the outcomes to God. Leave the outcomes to God. When the priest step into the water, it says that the, the Jordan was at flood stage all during har harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water stopped flowing and piled up in a heap. Leave the outcomes to God. That's one of the things that keeps us inactive. We don't want to step out oftentimes in faith because we would like to go ahead. We've assessed the risk. We go, okay, this is what, uh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. I'm going to eliminate risk. Uh, we live in a society that is constantly trying to eliminate risk. Um, we would never do anything if, if all of our lives, all we did was eliminate risk. Again, I'm not saying that, that assessment of risk is uh, a lack of faith. Those kinds of things are important as well. But when day after day, every single decision that we make as people of God, that we make as a church, if we're only looking at risk and we're never acting because, the, because of risk, we won't ever do anything. We won't look like the people who follow the risen Lord Jesus who risked himself, who came and took on the frailty and vulnerability of the world, of our own lives, and took it upon himself. So this is our call. What is he asking you to do? Stepping out in faith means that we step out when we don't know what's going to happen. Right? I mean, think about it. He's even told them what's going to happen. But there's still some risk there. Oftentimes, we're stepping out in faith we don't know what's going to happen, and that's why it's called faith. 
but if I do this, God, this might happen. And all through Scripture, just as he's done here, God says, yes, but if you will step out in faith, I will do this. If you do this, I will do this. Now, his love and his grace, unconditional, undeserved. We have it regardless. He died for the world. Jesus died for the world. Grace, unconditional. But living in the abundance of God and living in that relationship that is this, that's the adventure of, that's it, of life has some conditions with it. Paul says it like this, you reap what you sow. When we act in faith, there's going to be reward that we gain as God calls us into that, that we won't gain if we stand back in fear. Step out in faith, you're still in the same grace of God. You're still in the same unconditional love of God, regardless of what goes on. That never changes. That's the gospel. But following God and experiencing abundance is dependent oftentimes on our faith as we step out. Joshua and Israel needed to see that when they act in faith with all that risk, God will come through. So here's what I want you to think about. In what you face right now, in what you face right now today is your tendency to step out in faith or step back in fear. Step out in faith or step back in fear. Maybe you need to start with the decision in front of you by thinking about all the things he's already done for you. Maybe you need a few stones, like these 12 stones of remembrance. Maybe what you need to do before you take another step is to just gather up all the things that you've seen God do for you and have a pile, a heap, not of the water, but of the stones of what God has done for you over and over in your life. Can you count on him? Then look at those stones. Look at those things of remembrance. Maybe that's where you start today. Maybe you and your spouse recognize that things aren't well, working well for you right now. You're living in constant tension, and you need to seek some counseling together. That takes humility, but it also takes faith. It takes faith to step out. You've learned how to live in your dysfunction, and you've been in the dysfunction so long that it's comfortable, and you don't really want to move because if you step out in faith and seek some help, it's going to unravel some things that probably need to be unraveled before they can be raveled and put back together and healed. So maybe that's where you are, and you're, maybe you're considering a big career move, maybe you're struggling with a habit that's become an addiction, maybe you've relapsed into something that you've been freed from before, maybe you, you need to admit wrong about something and ask forgiveness, and you're trying to get up the courage to do what you know is the right thing to do. Maybe today is the day that you're thinking, I need to follow Jesus. I never put my trust in him. I've never been baptized into Christ. I've never started with that new, fresh life of death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. And maybe today, but you are scared. And you're assessing and you're looking at risk. You're looking at, 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 at possibilities. Well, yeah, but if I do that, then, I, then if I fail, what, what does that look like? It looks like a perfect God who's got you covered in his grace and his love and who's done everything to take care of our failure. Maybe today for you it's simply this, Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm afraid. Maybe you just admit that. Lord, I'm afraid. 
but I don't want to step back in fear. I want to step out in faith. Maybe that's what you just acknowledged today. What is this text speaking to you? What is the Holy Spirit even now stirring up in you as you hear these words in this story? What's he up to in your life? What would he like you to do? Those things that you fear, are you willing to acknowledge them, not bury them, but acknowledge them and give them to the Lord and step out in faith, leaving the outcomes to him, knowing that he is good, he is right, he is wise, he is faithful, he is loving, he is gracious, he is gentle, he is kind, he is merciful, he is true. He keeps his promises, he's never late. And that's the God who is all of those things all the time and delights in leading your life and in going before you. How will you respond? Let's uh, stand together. We always have an opportunity at the end of a message to give us time to respond. I'll ask the prayer teams to take their places. And perhaps today it's you saying, I'm going to, I need to, I just need to face some things. I want some people to pray for me. It could be somebody right around you or it could be uh, someone on the prayer team. Uh, we, we want to invite you to, to do that. Maybe it's taking that step of faith to give yourself to Jesus for the very first time. And uh, we'd love to visit with you about that. We want to give you an opportunity uh, to respond. So we invite you to respond as we sing this prayer of acknowledgement of God's glory and his goodness together.